Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hi again, friends, and welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. I'm John Russin, your host extraordinaire. I'm here with my dearest friend on the planet, Pastor Frank Friedman. How are things going in South Louisiana today, my friend? Oh, South Louisiana is pretty good today. Not too humid, not too hot. Bearable. (laughs) Well, it's nice here in Tucson as well. It actually was 66 this morning when I'm out for my bicycle ride. So uh, fall is coming. So crossing our fingers and holding our breath. Well, friends, uh, if you've been listening, uh, you've known that Frank and I have been talking our way through his latest book. Uh, It's entitled uh, Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. Wow, what a title. And by the time you hear this, we hope it will be out. Uh, So please pick up a copy. But uh, we've been slowly going through in our conversations some of the main tenets of this book. And the last couple of episodes, uh, we've talked about some topics that have been pretty engaging, Frank, and I thank you for that time we've had together. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about a purpose in our pain. You know, our favorite question is, why is this happening to me? Well, we addressed the why. And then we talked about how do we respond to pain? And we talked about, as Frank, you called it, a radical response to pain, which basically is to just sit down in our pain, to own it, to make it ours, and to invite God into it. Because, of course, he knows our pain intimately already, and only he can filter through the apparent rubbish and show us where the life is in this. Mm. Show us his glory and show us how uh, he's going to manifest himself in us through this. So, my friend, we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to talk about a chapter in your book called The Faithless Facade. The Faithless Facade, How Many Believers Respond to Pain. So I'm going to turn it over to you, my friend, with with a couple of questions around a statement that you make. You say this, many believers pursue painlessness rather than God's provision in their pain. What do you mean by that? Clarify that for us. Oh, absolutely. Well, John, you know, nobody wants to hurt. If you want to hurt, something's wrong with you. If you like to hurt, something is wrong with you. The normal response is to recoil from pain. We don't like pain. And when we have pain, we don't like to think about it because it makes it worse. And so most people will try to anesthetize the pain, recreate away the pain, just try to keep busy all the time so we don't have to think about it. 
But my thesis is you brought this up, that there's purpose in our pain. God allowed it. And that means that this wasn't random. Genesis 50, 20, what a great theme for this. The evil brothers of Joseph meant evil for him when they sold him into slavery. But God says of the same event that he meant it for good. That's beyond my pay grade to understand that, but I believe it. And so the call, I think, upon every one of our lives is not painlessness, not let's avoid pain, get rid of pain. I'm not saying we invite it into our lives. That would be stupid. But when it comes, receive it and look for the provision of God. You know, John, I was reflecting this week on a verse that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And obedience is a compound word, hupakua, which means not obedience, not conformity, but it actually means listen under. So obedience is that we have been trained to listen for the voice of our father and conform our lives to that voice. Obedience is really intimate relationship, intimate dependence. And if that occurred in the life of Jesus through the things he suffered, if we're not going to be in that journey, or we deny that journey, or we say we've got nothing to do with that journey, then we're putting ourselves really above the master. I mean, the student is above the master at that point. If he had to walk that path, then we need to as well. Uh, it's in the things we suffer that if we'll receive it and look to God, we can learn to listen under the voice of our father. And boy, that's a, that's a place where we all want to be in a world that is so void of truth and love and kindness and understanding because he has the market cornered on all those things. Yes, he does. But while we may all want to be there while we're hurting, many of us in the body of Christ are not there. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say most. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was going to be a little more kind than that, but that's okay. I'll, I'll accept most. And so the church at large at least in this country, not so much elsewhere, but at least in this country, the church seems to be filled with people who reach a certain level of intimacy and familiarity with each other. Some portion of the walls begin to erode a little bit, but the pain that they carry deep inside often makes them perpetual foreigners, even in their own kingdom. In fact, you make that statement. That pain in the lives of believers uh, creates foreigners. What do you mean by that? Well, I think, John, if you, you look at our message that we have victory in Christ, we are more than conquerors over anything the world hurls at us. So when someone gets wounded in this army of victors, as we march onto the world with our message, the wounded walk with a limp. And sometimes I think we in the church get impatient with them. Uh, 
We say, come on, that was years ago. You should be doing better now. I think it's ironic that we'll give people a lot of time to heal from a physical wound, but we don't give them much time to heal from emotional wounds. And so there's this atmosphere almost of, you know, you don't want to be a bad advertisement for the victory that Christ has secured. And so I think people who are hurting learn to be silent about their pain. And that's why we came up with that subtitle, The Lonely Path of Pain. You know, if I really share my burden, is there anybody out there who's going to let me cry, let alone hear my cry? And it's sad, but I, I do find that kind of performance attitude in a large portion of the body of Christ. Yes, I think you're right. And so the church very sadly resembles the world in this capacity, that to a great degree, the church is filled with, uh, you use this phrase, wounded warriors, um, mm -hmm. soldiers who've been battered and bruised, and they just feel like they don't fit into the, the victory parade, quote unquote, mm -hmm. of unwounded saints. And so in my experience over many years of watching this in churches, is that believers can do a couple of different things. First, they can give up on getting help from believers, but choose because of social reasons or family reasons to adopt the mask, bury their pain, trudge through life. They have some joy, some peace, some rest, some freedom, but they certainly don't have all that Jesus died to give them. And a lot of people, in fact, the lion's share of people in the body of Christ, I think, fall into this category. But then there's the second one. And these are the people who ditch the church entirely. Believers who love God but hate the church decide that no one in the church is authentic. No one really cares. And when this happens, our enemy will make sure to parade every type of alternative in front of those folks that seems attractive, that offers hope. And it seems like a fit because in the church, they just don't seem to fit. So did I capture everybody in those two uh, responses? Of course, there is a third, the people who sit down in their pain and find the life of Christ in the midst of a nightmare. But uh, mm -hmm. that's not the most common path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is a road less traveled. Most of us are going to try to remove the pain. That's why we call it a radical response, John. When we shared this, I just called several friends just to check on them. And it was ironic. Uh, two of them said, we're going through difficult circumstances. And I said, well, how are you getting through this? And they said, well, we realized we couldn't fight against it anymore. It wasn't going to change anything. And they said this language. It was ironic. They said, we both of them said, we just had to sit down in the pain and ask God to meet us there. And I was sitting here looking at them almost dumbfounded because I'm writing this book and, and here these people are verbalizing what I'm writing. It was amazing. And, and then this brother that I've worked with for many years and, and I told him there's no manual for walking through pain. And he had this moment. He said, no, no manual, only Emmanuel. And that's the thesis. We find God in a, in a way we never knew him. And I think, John, you, you hit it really on the head. I think in a 
very busy culture, a prosperous culture, the American culture where we do it our way and and we are self-sufficient. There's not as much intimacy as we would like. And so people are either afraid to share their pain or they've shared it, but they get left behind. And, And it's tragic because we don't get to fulfill an amazing verse, I, I think it's Romans 12 or 13, maybe 14, might be the Corinthian letter, where Paul said, weep with those who weep. And boy, that is a very rare find. Uh, most of us are too disconnected or too disinterested to sit down and weep with a burdened brother or sister. That's tragic. Yes, it is. And if I can add one more, I can add this. Impatient. Mm. Because uh, if a dear friend suddenly gets caught up in a trauma or a pain of some sort, then your friendship is impacted. And Mm -hmm. that friend can't be the person uh, they were before. Not for a while anyway. Perhaps not for a long while. And we tend to get impatient because we want them to suck it up. You know, it's just emotions. You know, that wound was years ago. Or this is one of my favorites. Brother, you need to, you need to find your victory, man. Bring that suffering to the cross. You know, I don't even know what that means. But I spent enough time in a Pentecostal church to remember it. <laughs> Whatever that means, bring it to the cross. Where's your faith? You know, this, is, this thought crosses my mind, Frank. Jesus, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We've talked about this. He wept over the death of his friend Lazarus. Mm-hmm. You know, you've talked about this. In fact, it's so important that the Holy Spirit highlighted it with mm-hmm. the separate verse with only two words. Jesus wept. Could you imagine mm-hmm. what would have happened had Peter or John walked up to Jesus, put their arm around him and said, where's your victory, brother? <laughs> Can you imagine yeah. Jesus saying that? Yeah. I just really, really mm. can't. Yeah. You know, impatience, as I was listening to you, that's exactly what Job's friends did in the beginning. I mean, they sat down with him. They wept with him. They didn't say anything for the longest time, but they grew impatient. And then finally, they grew accusative. And, you know, John, I experienced that in my own life when Avery was born. And, you know, for the first several months, she was on the doorstep of death. I think it was five cardiac arrests. And uh, this person called me and they said, how are you doing? And I guess I made the mistake of thinking they really wanted to know. (laughs) So I told them, I said, well, we're tired, we're weary, we're Um, were exhausted. And they said, well, that's not of God. And I quickly told him, no, but it's human. And last time I checked, that's what I am. And it's it's a sad thing when we fail as a body of Christ to have the compassion to understand that every one of us is living in a world we were never designed to live in. This is not the Garden of Eden. And compassion needs to reign. It really does. 
Indeed it does. And as I'm listening to you talk, my mind goes back to uh, a subscription that uh, my wife and I take here at our home. It's called Voice of the Martyrs. Mm. And it's quite a captivating little magazine that comes out. And when I read those stories, uh, here's what I get, Frank. I get a sense of an honesty, of a vulnerability, of a, a statement of expressed need that often I don't see in our rich, prosperous, hustle-bustle Western society here. It's almost as if the more prosperous we become, the less need we seem to have uh, for our God and for what he's doing in our lives. Have you seen that or am I missing the boat? No, you know, John, I've pastored in several different areas, three, one on the West Coast, East Coast, and the South. And there is a cultural take to Christianity in those different regions. We are rugged individualists in America. We do it our way. And, you know, the more prosperous we are, the more self-sufficient we are. I mean, if we're hungry, we just go to the cupboard. I mean, we go to the freezer. Prosperity is not a great atmosphere for interdependence. And unfortunately, I think that's what trials tend to do. You know, when, when we were living in California, it was crazy, but we, we don't like our neighbors and we build six foot high fences to tell them so. But when those earthquakes came and knocked down those fences, it was crazy, but people introduced themselves to people they'd been living in close proximity to for years and never knew their name. So trial, trauma, it, it has a way of forcing us to become community. And it's, it's sad to say that, but it, it is, a, I think, a dynamic that happens in a prosperous culture. I think you're right. And uh, I think there's another very serious downside to that. Uh, I'm going to call these believers in a prosperous culture, I'm going to call them dishonest because they basically lie about their struggle and they walk through life uh, with a facade of victory. Uh, they live in a fantasy world of painlessness. And here's the downside, Frank. Their ministry is impacted because, you know, they're embracing and they're trying to evidence a false view of God. And so the result is the gospel appears irrelevant to so many hurting people. Because if you are homeless or destitute or struggling or what have you, and somebody comes along and portrays a perfect life, well, what can you grab onto with that? You can't. And so it impacts their ministry. And frankly, it cripples the ability to, uh, to satisfy the Great Commission to go and preach and teach and see the world change because of Jesus. And so I think this is a fundamental issue that unless we become extremely honest and open and vulnerable with our God and with each other, um, our ministry is going to be hurt because of it. Yeah, our ministry, I think, John, would be one of knowledge, but not necessarily experience. You're telling my story. <laughs> I 
I wore a mask for many years of victory, but inside there was a very wounded soul. And so I went to seminary. I memorized verses. I was a beaver for the Bible. I was a sponge. I rose up the ranks to be student body president of the seminary. I was the Bible answer man hiding behind a mask of sufficiency and victory that in a real way was an illusion. And that illusion was fostered by a failure to understand the grace of God. And, you know, if you're in a performance-oriented system, you must perform or you have to hide. And when God blew the lid off of all that, and you, you were there that day, I believe, I stood up and publicly told the church we were doing it wrong and we were going to start doing it right. And uh, it was a short time later, I started to be vulnerable, started to share my struggles. I remember this person came to me and she said, can I come and see you? And I said, absolutely. And she said, I want you to know the old you, I never felt safe coming to see you and share my burdens, but now I feel safe. And, and yet there's a flip side to that, John. When I came to the church where you and I both functioned as elders, I right away was vulnerable and I had a guy come up to me as an elder and he said, would you please quit being so vulnerable? You're scaring everybody. <laughs> and, and I said, well, brother, what would you prefer, a facade? And his words are enlightening. He said, well, that's what we're used to. Hmm. And I think what we, we do in our modern church age is we put up people who have it together and we say, look at what's possible for us. And they become the example or the model. And yet that's totally contradictory to Jesus, who was a man of sorrows, acquainted, which is deeply involved with grief. And I think if we're truly going to be conformed to his image, we will be on that same road. Uh, we'll have sorrow. We'll look at this sad state of the world, the the people that are being hurt and bruised and, and will be acquainted with their grief. And, and they'll know that about us. That's the key. They'll see it in us. They'll see the compassion. And it's then, John, that we become dangerous people in the kingdom because we're walking the same path that Jesus walked. Amen. Uh, Jesus was an honest representation of God. You know, in your book, my friend, you mentioned in chapter 10, of a lady named Susie. And uh, Susie begins in her chapter as perhaps a splendid example of a dishonest believer. So you tell her story in chapter 10. So tell us a little bit about her, her pain, and then her journey to freedom. Oh, let me take a breath. You know, John, the mere mention of her brings tears to my eyes, uh, tears of sorrow, but at the same time, they're tears of, of great joy. Uh, she, I'll never forget her. She, she came in very well put together, confident, 
but she was here to talk about a struggle in her relationship with her husband. And, and as we probed into the circumstance, it, she revealed that she had been sexually abused for nine years by four different male members of her family. And I had a real problem with her. And I told her my problem was her. And she said, why? And I said, because you tell me your story like you're telling me the weather. You're so disconnected from it. And she put out some defense that, you know, she knew about it, not new memories that dealt with it, yada, yada. But as we progressed and she continued to come in, God began to strip away the facade and take off the mask and let her face honestly the devastation that four people older who were supposed to be her protectors damaged her in such a devastating way. She crashed and burned. I mean, it was not easy. Uh, I normally spend about eight to 12 hours with somebody. You don't need much more time than that. Either you get the truth or you don't. But this little lady was about 18 months. There was such devastation. But the glory, John, is that 18 months later, I heard these words from her. She came in with a big old smile on her face. And she said, Frank Friedman, I don't need you anymore. And I said, oh, really? Why is that? And this is what she said. She said, I know God in a way you'll never know him. And I said, touche. And well, by the way, young lady, I know God in a way you'll never know him. <laughs> and she said, I know that. And uh, that was years ago. And she continues to walk with Jesus. But I think the key, John, is today, if you asked her her story, she would not tell it to you like she's telling the weather. She would tell it with tears streaming down her cheeks. She would be honest, vulnerable. But there would be triumph in her tears because she knows God in a way that so many people will never come to know him because they continue to walk in dishonesty about their own experiences and self-protection, failing to trust him and face those things in a very real way. Yes. Every time I hear that story, <laughs> It made my eyes tear because it's just, it's so sad, but it's so victorious, so triumphant at the end. Yeah. And uh, what a, you know, and, and listeners, I know that Pastor Frank is a gifted counselor. I have been the recipient of his counsel as he slapped me around more than one time. But in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. <laughs> <clears throat> but here's the important thing uh, this is not Frank, this is not John. This is the wonderful counselor who does this work. And so no matter where you are right now, where you're attending church, if you don't attend church, if you're anyplace else in the world and you've got pain and you want to talk to your savior about it, mm -hmm. go ahead and do it. You don't need a facilitator. You just need to get honest with your savior, invite him in. He will come. And he will talk with you in your pain and he will open your eyes uh, to the truth of what's really happening and what he intended when he allowed that into your life. So this is something that is available to 
anyone, everyone. All yeah. they have to do is say, sir, I need some help. Uh, let's talk about this. And he will be right there. Yes. Wow. Yes, he will. <clears throat> what an encouraging thought. I want to go back to Susie for just a minute. At the yes, end sir. of that chapter, my friend, you called her a dangerous woman. You know, she gets hurting people and the hurting people of the world know that she gets them. So what do you mean by that? Well, you know, hurting people <clears throat> are always looking for a way out of the hurt. And when you read the early chapters of the book, that is a very rare commodity uh, to find a way out of the hurt. We cannot, we do not have the ability to rewrite our story, to alter the facts. And so the best we can do at that point is live in denial or anesthetize or hope that time will allow the emotions to come down a little and not <clears throat> devastate us daily like they do. Uh, it's quite another story to run into someone who says, you know, I, I can't fix your pain, but I can lead you to the one who will provide himself to you in your pain. He will provide his comfort, his peace, his strength, his joy, and he will lift you up with his righteous right hand, and he will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, I, I think the great cry of the human soul, John, is not really, um, how do I stop the pain? But can I get through it? Is there somebody out there that will understand what I'm going through and, and help me? And that's what makes Susie a dangerous lady. She's journeyed this path herself in the very deep, deep valley of death and come through it. And that's what makes her dangerous. She's a magnet to hurting people. Mm. And she has discovered freedom, not because her past was rewritten or her memories were wiped, but they no longer cripple her. They cause her grief, but there's an honest grief, an attractive grief, so that she can, can take what has happened to her, praise her God, and then use it as a tool to minister life to others. So she is free from the crippling effect of her pain, even though she owns it and probably thinks about it most days. Yeah. So yeah. what an incredible picture of freedom. Yeah. You know, John, um, and again, you said this is available to anybody. They can, anybody can find God if they'll sit down and seek him. But when you've walked that path, then you become an additional tool in his toolbox <laughs> because you can proclaim, I, I walked that path. This is what I did with Susie. I, I told her I've walked that path and now she's walked that path years ago. I came home from church one day and just maybe if I can just share this story, my bride grabbed me and she said, sit down. I want to share something with you. And I said, okay. And she said, I want to play this song for you. It's your testimony. 
And the, I don't remember all of the lyrics, but the lyrics go like this, John. Uh, in the crowd, you're the master of your soul, unafraid, resolutely in control. Play the part of the angry young man. Protect yourself as long as you can. What's the use of all the books that you read if you don't find the truth that you need? And then the chorus said, did you hear the good news? You don't have to run and hide. You can drop all your defenses. His arms are opened wide. There'll be love and laughter when you finally give in and the celebration is waiting to begin. Wow. And I heard that and I burst into tears and she burst into tears. This is what happens when you find God. And honestly, you can drop the mask and you can quit being what everybody wants you to be and quit being what you think you should be and allow yourself to be a vessel of his life, a bruised reed that now he uses to play beautiful music because you sing his song of redemption. You were a dimly burning wick, but he doesn't discard those kinds of people. He takes them and transforms them and you can now shine the light of his love to the world. Isaiah 61 says, he will make you an oak of righteousness. And uh, what a joy. What a joy indeed. Now, listeners, you don't have to have a story like Susie's to think you've been wounded. Every single one of us has circumstances, uh, events, decisions in our lives that have caused us pain. So don't get caught up in a deception of comparing your pain to Susie's. Your pain is yours and it is worth a conversation with your father. And if you're in a church where this isn't a forefront on the mindset of the leadership, that's okay. You can still seek your father. Seek thee, a wonderful counselor, and he will meet you. And then you too, perhaps, can become a dangerous person in the kingdom. My friend, we're just about ready to wrap up. Any last comments before we close this episode? Oh, you know, it's, uh, it's just an amazing thing to ponder, John, that God is so big, so good, so loving so powerful that he can offer to us on some occasions freedom from pain, but he's so big, loving, good, and powerful that he can even offer us good and bring freedom in our pain. That even if the pain doesn't go away, we can stand confidently and victoriously in him. You can't put a price tag on that, John. No, sir, you can't. You cannot. Well, friends, we are thoroughly honored that you have been listening to this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. 
And uh, I don't know about you, Frank, but this has been, uh, this series has been really gripping to me. And uh, we've been praying together. I know that Father will use this to bring freedom to his children who are in bondage. We've been talking, of course, about Pastor Frank's newest book, Finding God of the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. Uh, that title still stuns me. Check it out on Amazon. Visit our website, OurResoluteHope.com. Browse around. Check out our resources. Pop us an email. Uh, let us hear from you. Sign up for our newsletter. Join us uh, in our new members portal. and You can get access to a, a growing catalog of uh, messages and information from Pastor Frank that's available no place else. And of course, follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and all the places that carry our podcasts. And as we close, as always, we remind you that we have this hope, Hebrews 6 says, a living hope, a resolute hope as an anchor for our souls. So today and always, choose hope, choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.